Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. This, we're going to look at this verse, this passage later. Um, so I just wanted to go ahead and read it now. So it'll be in the back of our mind as we go through this section. Ecclesiastes 1. So it's going to be... Old Testament, right after Psalms and Proverbs. We're going to start in 1 verse 12. And we're going to read through chapter 2 verse 11. Um... And just keep in mind as we read this section uh, what Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, what he's striving for, what he's grabbing onto in order to accomplish it, and the results that he receives. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind." What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart had been, had, has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for children of man to do under heaven under the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. 
Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's pretty depressing. Uh, so as we consider that, we keep that in our mind, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. We go back to Matthew chapter 6. Um, before we really look at it, I want to just remind us of where we are in our context of um, not just the chapter, but also Matthew's account of, of the gospel. So Jesus has come on the scene, right? Um, begins with his birth, as we've been looking at for the last month or so. Uh, but he's on the scene preaching and teaching. He's performing miracles. He's calling people to faith and repentance. Uh, but his teaching's a little bit different. And we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that he teaches with authority that no one else seems to teach with. Almost as if he's like writing it as he goes. Like he's the author. Uh, and in doing so, he's also correcting the poor teaching of the day, the misunderstanding and the misapplication. And as we get to chapter 6 in Matthew, uh, he starts calling out some false practice of religion or fake righteousness. As I like to think of it, faking righteousness. Uh, the good or the bad way to do religion or to show that you're righteous. And if you notice and if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount and you've read chapter 6 a lot, or a few times, you'll notice that one seeks reward in this life or in the life to come. So the hypocrite, as it's established in chapter 6 throughout most of the first section, is seeking a reward in this life. And the other is seeking a reward in the life to come. And that reward comes from the Father who is in heaven. So then we get to verse 19 and things tend to change. The, the course of what Jesus is teaching feels to me at least that it's like he's shifting away from what he's been talking about. And he starts talking about material stuff. You know, the stuff we've been dealing with the last weekend or three weeks. Uh, treasure, money, material he, kind of, he gets real practical in life. Um, but as, and it's as if Jesus is moving on from what he's talked about at the beginning of the chapter and even in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. But I think and what, what I notice and I want you guys to understand, this overlay in chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount and even in Matthew... Um, even in Matthew, there's this overarching theme of 
a kingdom. A kingdom of heaven. And as you look at it and you see that theme and you see the detail given to it, you realize it's in comparison to the kingdom of this world or of this earth. Uh, It's as if um, it's a tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven and of this world. So the kingdom of heaven... I I don't want to get into it, but if you look through the first six chapters of Matthew, you see this kingdom theme all throughout. So I'm going to let you do that as homework in your off time. But in all this, there's a tension building. The kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of this world. Um, We begin to realize in chapter 6 that you can't see this kingdom of heaven. The Father who is in this kingdom is of secret. Um, and He rewards in secret. But you also realize that there's a delay in this kingdom. A delay of reward. If you look at the hypocrite in, verse, in chapter 6, you see that they have received their reward. But for the righteous, they will receive their reward. It's a really important thing to consider as we move forward. Um, But then we get to verse 19. And again, as I said, it changes. And as I see in 19, especially through 19 and 24, I see Jesus laying out some principles that go along with Compare and contrasting these two kingdoms and also gauging, taking a gauge of which kingdom you are in. So these are three questions I see in especially 19 through 24. What do you love? What do you look at? And what do you serve? So those three questions. What do you love? What do you look at? What do you serve? Um, I thought those were all going to be one sermon, but they're not. We're going to look at the first one today. What do you love? So again, remember, two kingdoms. You're in one or out of the other, or in the other, and out of the one. And so these questions are going to help us identify them and also to see and gauge which one we belong to. So, what do you love? Let's look at 19. Let's read 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal. So automatically we see it, two kingdoms, right? Earth and heaven. Also, you see a particular or specific action that Jesus is calling us to that fits in either one kingdom or the other. Lay up yourselves treasure. So what's lay, what's lay up mean? 
um, to get a lot of. Anybody been storing up corn for the winter? Or some beans? You've been laying up, right? Uh, made, me, made me think of Joseph when I read this. Uh, you remember what Joseph did to save Egypt and the surrounding nations? He interpreted Pharaoh's dream about seven years of plenty and seven years of uh, famine. And so what did he do? He said, let's lay up some, some wheat. Let's make a massive storage of wheat so that we can have plenty even when there isn't any. Um, we store it up because we think we need, right? Uh, I know that when my grandma stores up corn, I definitely need it because it's really good. But we need, like if we store food, we store up things because we know that we need them or we will desire them in the future. I mean, it, we do it. Food, water, clothing, etc. We don't want to run out. But the problem, the thing that we're really talking about here in verses 19 through 21 is this word treasure. Um, when I think of treasure, I think of pirates. Sorry, I just do. So let's, let's, let's work with that. Uh, treasure in the context of a pirate is a treasure chest full of stuff of great value, right? Gold, typically. Um, and that's basically what the Greek word means, a deposit of wealth, of value, right? It's a clump of expensive whatever. Um, but this, this can be tricky because I don't think any of you have a clump of gold a box of gold. I don't think any of you, you know, have like your vault that you're opening up and there are your gold bars of treasure, your diamonds and your rubies, right? I know I don't. So what are we talking about? Treasure. Um, do y'all know that the phrase beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Let's just change it. Treasure is in the eye of the beholder. Right? Um, so what, what we have to be careful when we read things like this, when we say don't lay up for yourselves treasure or lay up for yourselves treasure, uh, we could have a tendency to say, well, I don't have any treasure. So this isn't about me. I don't have anything of value because, one, I don't have anything to buy of any value. I don't have any money or I don't have anything. I, I don't, don't desire things of value or treasure. So this, this isn't about me. Well, treasure, let's define it this way, not by financial value or what the bank says it's worth or the book says it's worth. But let's define treasure by what your heart says it's worth. What does your heart say something is worth? Or let's just say it this. How much you love it. How much you love it. Um, 
Here's an easy example. You ever been to like a really a true hoarder's house? Like I mean like don't you don't call your grandma a hoarder just because she has a lot of stuff. I mean like a real hoarder. And you can't walk in anywhere. And it what is it? It's it's a bunch of stuff with no value, right? Like it if it all goes away, it's going to be okay. However, to that person, it's there because it is their treasure. The stacks of newspaper from 20 years ago is their treasure. Why? It's not yours. They value it greatly in their heart. They love their stuff. To you, it's junk, but to them, it's treasure. So let's do a little bit more difficult example. Your family. Your family. Now, family in itself has value because family is made up of people. But the question is, is how much do you value it? Um, How much do you love your family? Can you love them too much? Can you treasure them too much? So that's kind of the question, one of the questions we're going to have to ask ourselves as we consider this passage. What are we laying up? And is it of good value or is it of no value? So the key to this passage is really at the end of the paragraph in verse 21, right? Uh, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you can ask yourself, what do I treasure? What do I love? What do you have your heart on? What do you love? What can you not have without? What could you not imagine living life without? What do you treasure? Because what you treasure is where your heart is. So we look at this paragraph as a whole. Jesus has an instruction. He's actually giving us instruction. In two different ways, a negative and a positive. The Bible tends to do that. The Bible will give us instruction uh, in this first form as a negative or a positive and then reverse it and say it the opposite way. And we see that from Jesus in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then the positive, he says, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's pretty straightforward, but what it goes to show us, because I wrote it out the way it's on my paper, and you're supposed to lay up for yourselves treasure. It's just, where are you doing it? Are you doing it on earth? Or are you doing it in heaven? Well, okay, what's the, what's the reason for Jesus' instruction to do this or to not do this. Uh, verse 19. 
do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay, so the reason why we would not want to lay up treasure on earth were, is, is because there's moths. Uh, it can rust. It can even be taken away. And we talked about this throughout Advent in hope and joy, right? When our hope and joy are in things of the same sort of area, things of this earth, it's not really hope and joy. It's temporary expectation and flash in a pan happiness. Because those things that you have hope and joy in in this earth, what do they do? They get eaten up. They rust. They break. Or they go away. Um, yesterday, Christmas Day, well, since Black Friday, really, is the prime example of us falling into this trap of laying up for ourselves treasure that goes away. And it culminates in the question we always ask everyone. What did you get for Christmas? I, I had to stop myself after writing the sermon this week to be in like, because you meet someone the day after Christmas, especially a youngster, and you're like, what did you get for Christmas? What am I telling them? That the most important thing yesterday was what you got for Christmas. Well, I hope, I hope y'all think about that this week. Uh, but then what's the reality is that not only do we do it today, the day after Christmas, but if we don't stop, we're going to do it the next Christmas. And now what are we doing? We're encouraging laying up treasures on earth, right? Like you're amassing a large amount of toys, right? I won't pick on the kids, but it could be adults too. Uh, what did you get for this year? This year? This year? This year? This year? What are you doing? You're storing up treasures on earth. Uh, not that gift giving is bad, right? I always have to... Not that gift giving is bad. Not that uh, giving to others or receiving is bad. Oh, but it can be, right? If, if we're living in this vein in verse 19. Uh, Jesus says that these earthly treasures don't last. They can be destroyed. They can be taken away. So what does that tell you about their value? It's exactly the word I had written down. Worthless. Worthless. Now, again, that, we get into this tricky dilemma when we go back to the difficult example of family. Right? Family is not worthless. Uh, so I, I, I just, you know, keep this in mind that something in of itself is not worthless but when you when you are coming to that thing hoping to find joy and satisfaction 
when you need it, so therefore you're making sure that you have plenty of it, you're now in the territory of idolatry. And that's what this is. Storing up things, treasures on earth, is idolatry. I-D-O-L. Idolatry. You love that thing, and what we'll see in the third question, serve that thing, worship that thing, more than Christ himself. So family can be something that you're storing up on earth if it has become an idol. So these things of earth, of the earth, the treasures on earth are worthless. And that's why we read Ecclesiastes. This is what Solomon's was, this is what Solomon was understanding. He sought wisdom, he sought things, he th- he sought people, he sought power. He he wanted to store it all up and he had. That's why Solomon is such a good example is because he has stored it all up. There is nothing that he has not had. And what does he say? He says it's vain. Vanity, the other word is worthless. It's useless. Everything striving under the sun, which is earth, everything under the sun is earth. Everything under the sun, striving for these things under the sun on earth is pointless. That's what, that's what Solomon's saying. He says it's like chasing after the wind. I mean, it might be fun for a while, but it'll get tiring. And you can never, it doesn't get you anywhere. So, Jesus and Solomon are saying the same thing, right? Jesus says, if you're going to strive after and store up these treasures on earth, guess what? They're worthless because they're going to go away. They're going to get eaten by moths. They're going to rust. They're going to get taken away. So what makes treasure in heaven different? Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where... Oh, no, let's don't read that yet. Ah, heavenly treasure is indestructible. So, uh, okay, imagine you're building something. A bird house, a real house, uh, whatever. You're building something. And you want it to last as long as it can. What do you do? You buy quality material, right? You don't buy the cheap stuff. Um, You buy material that lasts longer. So what does that mean? You're going to have to pay more for it. Um, But your project, in the end, will have more value. Why? Because it will last longer. Um, You know, you, you go, I've learned this the hard way. You go to 
your Home Depot or Lowe's and you buy that brand you shouldn't, it doesn't last, right? You spend a little bit more money, you buy the thing that was made well, even though it costs more, it lasts, so therefore it was worth it because it had the value in it because it lasts longer. Now I'm belittling the point, but we see it. If heavenly treasure is indestructible and it can never be taken away, what type of value would you give it? Eternal, infinite, invaluable, priceless. It, it cannot be bought. You cannot put a number on it. And so this in itself should cause you to think, oh, what am I doing? You're not going to go... You're not going to go make an investment in something that you're not going to get a return. You're not going to go build something that you know is going to break down. But guess what? That's what you're doing. That's what we're doing. Uh, that's, that's why Jesus is saying this. Right? Typically, we read a law or a rule and we think, well, that's pretty obvious. Why would they need to make a rule or a law about that? Because someone's probably done something that said, well, if someone's actually going to do that, then we need to make a law about it. Uh, I read, I don't know how I got there. I was reading some rules for a church gathering that was about to take place. And prohibited items within it was the word toaster. It was a church gathering. And they had to make sure to write in their prohibited items, toaster. And so the question is, why would they do that? And the answer is, is because someone had brought a toaster to church before. And they did not want anyone else to bring a toaster to church. So why is Jesus saying this? Why is he giving this command? It's not because one person or two people have done it and that is lay up treasure on earth, and he doesn't want it to happen again. No, the reality is, is we are all laying up treasure on earth apart from Christ. It's a human problem, and that includes you. Yeah, I'm talking about you. This rule, this law, this command is here because this is what you're doing. You are building, as Jesus said, a house on sand. Imagine building a house on sand. How foolish. How valuable is a house? You know, pretty valuable. You wouldn't want to build it on sand. How valuable is your life? You don't want to build it on sand. Because when the rain comes and the floods come, the judgment and wrath of God, your life will not stand. It will not stand. 
Our, our, here's the reality. Our sin nature is drawn to the things of the world. You have an innate desire for worthless things. Promise you. Not only that, you have this weird thing in you that not, not only wants it, but you want more of it. And then, on top of that, the lack of value in it after you've received it and stored up more and more and more, and it does not satisfy you, you do one of two things. You go get more and more of it, or you build another storehouse and try to find something else to put in some, another storehouse to satisfy you. So indirectly, Jesus here isn't just instructing us on laying up treasure, but he is offering eternal, indestructible, priceless treasure. He's offering it. Turn with me to 1 Peter. We'll wrap up here in just a second. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4, just really quick. I just want us to see the overlay here from Peter and Paul. I'm sorry, Peter and Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now look what we, we have. Verse 4. To an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So treasure, we can see as inheritance. I mean, you get an inheritance, it's treasure, right? It has value. What are the qualities of this treasure or inheritance? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I'll take that any day. What value that must have. Look where it's kept. We didn't read that. The end of verse 4. Kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven. Not on earth. But in heaven. No thieves going to get it in heaven. No moths to destroy it. No rust to fade it. Look who's keeping it. 
kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Kept by God, by his power, but kept for who? Who has this inheritance? Who has this treasure? Those with faith, Peter says. Those with faith. Now I want y'all to listen real careful here. What do I mean that? I don't mean those who said I believe in Jesus. I don't mean that at all. Peter doesn't mean that either. Someone that just says I believe. A lot of people believed in something yesterday. It wasn't real. What do I mean when I say those who have faith? Those who have heard the news of the kingdom of heaven. What was that? That unto you is born this day a Savior. Unto you is born this day a Savior. A Redeemer who is Christ the Lord. And upon hearing this news, those who have faith upon hearing this news, realize its value, its worth. And it's not just news, but it's good news. What do I mean when I say those with faith, those who have heard the words of this Savior, Jesus Christ, and have obeyed. Obeyed his command to believe and repent. When he says the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that we're talking about, is near, repent and believe the gospel, the good news that has come to save them from their sins, they turn from their sins and are following Jesus. It is to these who have this eternal, invaluable treasure in heaven through Christ. How does, how does Peter start this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Those who have faith are different because of what God has done. Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so you might be asking yourself or considering or thinking this through. How can I know I have this faith? How can I know I have this value or this, uh, this treasure? How can I possess it? Or, well, I've told you how you can possess it through faith, through repentance. But how do you know if you have it? Well, look, go back to Matthew. How do you know you have it? How do you know you value it? You'll probably get tired of me reading these parables, but it just it just sinks in too well. Matthew thirteen, verse forty four. I know how you know I know how you let me say this right. I know that I can tell when you value your vehicle. Why? Is you spend a lot of time taking care of it, cleaning it. You'll spend a lot of money on it too. We know the things that you value because of the time, the effort, and the money that you give to them. So how, how do you know if you value the kingdom of heaven? How do you know if you value Jesus? 
Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, not because he didn't want it, right? But then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Oh, to find a treasure of pearls, right? Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. So, Jesus doesn't tell you in order to be a true follower and truly value who he is and what he's done that you must go and sell all that you had. But I'll tell you what, if you know that the value of Christ, you'd be willing to. You'd be willing to if he brought you to that. Well, Turn over one more time in Matthew to chapter 16. In reality, he calls us to that every day. Every day. To give everything For his sake and to follow him. Verse six, or chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's a, that's a man or a woman who sees the value of Jesus and in contrast sees the lack of value even in their own life apart from Jesus. I would give up my life, take up my cross, deny myself so that I can follow Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever for but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. The value of being in Christ and following Him is even greater than the value of your own life. And that's why Paul can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So the question we ask is, what do you love? Or, who do you love? Many things the world offers, possessions, money, power, control, etc., you name it, we can get it. Does your heart treasure those things? Possessions, money, power, control. Are you living a life striving after this, these things? Striving after the wind? Are you living your life pursuing the greatest treasure of all time, Christ? Because guess what? 
Christ wants you to store up these treasures that are in him. Store them up. Seek them out. Find them. Get more of them. Don't stop. Look at them. Pick them up. Hold them. Acknowledge them. Meditate on them. And you will see his supreme value. Let's pray.